The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org.
may be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and find the first chapter, and we'll be there in a few minutes, Luke chapter 1. Appreciate these men and women helping to lead us in worship today. Luke chapter 1. I want to show you a copy, a screenshot of my computer over in my study, and I know it's kind of hard to see from where you're seated, but you make it put together, that's an Amazon page. And uh, I don't know about you, but we use Amazon quite a bit because of where we live. It's just convenient and easy. Uh, but that's an Amazon page, and that's a, the book page. And you probably can't see it, but there in the search bar, I put the word biographies. Biographies. And you, I know you can't see it, but right there, it returned in just a matter of a few milliseconds, I guess, 80,000 biographies that you can purchase on Amazon. Just the word biographies. And if you look on the left-hand side, and I know you maybe can't make it out, but it lists some of the great men and women according to what people think. There's Winston Churchill and Dwight Eisenhower and Cary Grant and Eleanor Roosevelt and Steve Jobs and Leonardo da Vinci. And there's just something that's interesting about people. There. Something fascinating about people. I mean, you think about it, 80,000 books that are written about people. If you had to compile a list of great men and women, those that you consider to be great, I wonder who would be on your list. I suppose it would depend upon the setting and the genre and the, the subject matter. I mean, uh, you may list out the great men and women of the Bible, or you could list out great men and women from U.S. history, or great men and women from world history, but who would be on your list? Perhaps Jesus Christ, I would assume, would be on your list. Maybe the Apostle Paul that we just uh, watched the children's video about. Maybe Abraham Lincoln, or Susan B. Anthony, or George Washington, or some others. If you were making your own personal list, you might even list out some of your own family members, maybe ancestors that you heard about or, or relatives that you personally know, those you consider to be truly great men and women. But I'd be interested to know if the person that we're going to talk about today would make anybody's list. In fact, I would not be surprised if this gentleman would not make anybody's list in here and that's quite interesting to me because according to Jesus himself, the gentleman that we're going to talk about today was great. In fact, he was really great. In fact, I want you to see what Jesus said about him. These are the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, 11. They're on the screen in front of you. And it says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, I want you to think about that. The Lord Jesus himself said this about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, there's been none other that's greater than John the Baptist. Now, when Jesus calls someone great, that settles it. There's no debate. There's no room for discussion. But he calls him great here. But what is it that caused such a tremendous commendation from the Lord Jesus himself? Of course, the Lord Jesus is greater but what was it about John the Baptist that Jesus would say, listen, among all those born of women, he is the greatest. Well, this morning we're going to begin a journey together. 
And we're going to be looking at the life of John the Baptist. We're calling this series simply Forerunner. Because John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. And in all my years, I've never done an in-depth dive into the life of John the Baptist. I've never preached through his life. Uh, and so, as we look at this together, I'm fascinated already. I've been blessed already. Was blessed in the first service going through this material. But in the coming days, we're going to go in-depth looking at the life of this man whom the Lord Jesus says, listen, among those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And I don't know how much you know about John the Baptist, but he was not like us in a lot of ways. Some would describe him this way. He was like an under-socialized relative who shows up unannounced and unexpected at holidays and other social functions and embarrasses everyone. Maybe you've got some family members like, don't look around, don't look side to side, but maybe you've got some family members like that. But John was an unusual fella in many ways. In fact, if, if we were able to bring John in here today, if the doors were to open and, and John were to step out of the pages of the Bible and, and step into the sanctuary and sit beside you, you would probably be uncomfortable. You would probably look over and think, who is that? Because the Bible tells us uh, some things about John the Baptist that are a little bit different than us. In fact, it said that his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. It says that his garments were made from the hair of camels. It says that he dwelt out in the desert. Different in so many ways. I mean, as I said, if he were to walk in here, we would all get a second glance or a third glance. In fact, maybe even the security team would stand at the back and just kind of watch this unusual fellow that's come in. But this is the man that the Lord Jesus says, among those born of women, there's none greater than this man. Unlike us in so many ways, and yet so great. And so let's begin by reading the Scripture. We're going to read in Luke chapter 1. We'll read verses 5 through 25. And I want to kind of today set the stage of his life and kind of show you some behind-the-scenes things. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. They were old. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside of the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. Now today what I want to do is I want to kind of set the stage for our study. Give you a behind the scenes look at the world in which John the Baptist was born into, his family. Next week, God willing, we'll look at his birth and then we'll get into his ministry later on. But I need to tell you this right up front when it comes to John the Baptist. Uh, he was born in dark days. Dark days. It was dark. John MacArthur noted that before John the Baptist, there had been no prophet in Israel for over four centuries. For 400 years, no prophet. Since the days of Malachi, no new word of revelation had come from heaven. Nor had an angel appeared to men since the time of the prophet Zechariah 500 years earlier. I mean, it's just been silence. It's just been just nothing, it seemed. To make matters worse, it says that Herod was king of Judea. One author said that Herod was a ruler who killed his wives and his offspring so readily that they had a popular saying in that day. And the popular saying went like this, it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. That's the kind of man that Herod was. And he was king at this time. Butler said that when John the Baptist came into the world, the religious life of Israel was corrupted because the priesthood was greatly corrupted. And one of the reasons the priesthood was so corrupted is that because it was influenced and controlled in many ways by Herod. How did he do that? Well, first of all, he chose the high priest. If you have a corrupt man choosing the high priest, imagine that. And secondly, remember, Herod is the one who built this you know, wonderful temple, this impressive temple for the Jewish people. So there was darkness all around. It was dark politically. It was dark socially. It was dark religiously. And yes, in a way, it was dark personally. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But it brings us to John's parents. The focus of our study today. A man by the name of Zacharias and a lady by the name of Elizabeth. And at first glance, we see that there's no darkness, there's only light. While others may have lived unrighteous lives and corrupt lives, these two did not. In fact, the Scripture is clear. In verse number 6 that we read, it says that they were righteous. It says they walked in the commandments. It says they obeyed the ordinances. And it says they were blameless. Not sinless, mind you. They were sinners just like us. But they were blameless when they sinned. They went the proper way and offered sacrifices and made sure to take care of that. In other words, they were devoted in their lives to Jehovah. They were a godly couple. You have a priest. You have a, a priest named Zacharias. And his wife was the daughter. They're the line of Aaron. So it's kind of like a preacher married to a preacher's daughter. They were righteous. They were holy. And they were godly. Verse 6. 
But then we see a dark cloud rolls in at verse 7. And a darkness overshadows them. And it's not a darkness because of their sin. It's a darkness because of her barrenness. Their, their sorrow at verse number 7. It says they had no child. That's a sorrowful thing for any couple that desires to have children and cannot have children. But in this day and in this culture, it was a very serious thing. It brought shame. It brought reproach. It brought the like. Some would view them as Jehovah was displeased with them and, and they had done something or some, for some reason He did not bless them. It was a very, sick, a very sorrowful, hard thing that they dealt with because they had no child. And as you know, at this point, they're old. And he says very readily, they're old. And this brings us to our first lesson today. It is simply this, beloved. You can be godly and still have trouble. You can be godly and still have trouble. Now here they are, this godly priest and his wife. And though they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and I mean prayed passionately, I mean not just the hit and miss, I mean pleaded with the Lord in order to have a child. And I wonder how many years they cried out to the Lord desiring a child and warning a child. And it seemed that heaven had been shut to them. I mean, month by month went by and then year by year. And it seems that no matter what, heaven was silent and no child came. And now here they are. They're old. They're past those days. And they kind of resigned themselves and accepted the fact they were not going to have children. No child. Now what did they do? Did they grow bitter? No. Did they forsake their faith? No. Did Zacharias say, well, fine, I quit being a priest. I'm going to go flip hamburgers somewhere. No. No, they just faithfully trusted. They just faithfully served. In fact, we find Zacharias is here. And at this point in the story, he's taking his turn as one of the priests. You see, at that time, they estimate there was about 20,000 priests. And they were divided up into divisions. And a priest would serve um, at least two weeks there in their time from Sabbath to Sabbath. And that's what we find Zacharias is there. He's serving. He's still serving even though there's that sorrow that's still within his heart, no doubt, because he does not have a child. He does not have a little one to go home to. And he never did. They never had that child. You can be godly and still have trouble. When I was a much younger Christian and even a younger pastor, I had the mistaken thought and impression and idea that well, if you serve God faithfully, then you shouldn't have much problem and sorrow and issues. In other words, the more faithful you were, the less you had to suffer. And yes, I know I was naive, but I can tell you that living under that impression that if you will serve the Lord and be faithful to the Lord and yet you still have issues, it can be very confusing and frustrating and discouraging and disheartening and even maddening. Why? Because no matter how faithful somebody is, no matter how godly someone is, there's no promise that you're not going to face trouble. We face trouble in our world. Why? Because we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world with sinful people. And even as believers, we still fail and we still sin. And things are broken. And people are broken. And our world is broken. But God is always good. And what I know now that I did not know then, as a much younger Christian is that God always has a purpose behind the pain. He is at work in our lives. He is at work in our world. 
And though it seemed that as this godly couple cried out for a child that maybe God just didn't hear or God maybe didn't even care or for whatever reason as their heart ached and maybe Elizabeth would cry herself to sleep at night just desiring to have a little one, but it seemed like it was never going to happen. Although it seemed that God just did not answer the way they wanted to, He had a greater plan in mind. He had a greater plan for them and He had a greater plan for the child that they were going to receive. A plan they probably never could imagine. You know, there were so many priests at that time serving just twice a year from Sabbath to Sabbath, they would use lots, as you read about there, to determine who would do what. And at this part of the story, Zacharias is there and the lot fell to him to burn the incense. This was a very high honor to burn the incense. In fact, there were so many priests, they say that some priests would never get the privilege to burn incense in their lifetime. And if you did get chosen to burn incense, you'd only burn it one time in your entire life. In other words, this would be a dream come true for Zacharias to have the privilege to go in and burn the incense. You think about when you studied maybe in Sunday school the tabernacle or, or the temple. You think about the arrangement there. The altar of incense, if you remember, it's in the holy place. And separating from the holy place, there's the curtain, there's the, the barrier between the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you remember the arrangement, it was that the, the, the altar of incense sat outside the curtain of the Holy of Holies. So he's in the holy place and he's there and he's going to burn the incense. A high and holy honor. A once in a lifetime opportunity. An exciting, I mean, high mark in his priestly service to Jehovah. And he's there, and it says the people are outside praying at the hour of incense. And he's there, and he's going to offer the incense. And as he's performing the sacred duty, he's startled to realize that somebody else is in the room with him. You ever had that happen? You think you're the only one, and somebody else appears. If you want a real startle, come down here at night when the lights are not on, and somebody else. It's just imagine his surprise when he's there going about this sacred duty, going to pray, going to offer, offer, offer the incense, and all of a sudden there's somebody else in the room. And it's not just anybody. It is an angelic visitor. It is the angel Gabriel. And he tells Zacharias a message that just seems too good to be true, it seems. But let me read it to you again. We learn a lot about John the Baptist right here. I want to read it this time to you in the NLT because I want you to hear it differently. I want you to maybe catch a different nuance. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read verses 13 to 17 again. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now let's just stop for a moment because I love that phrase. God has heard your prayer. I think it had been years since they'd ever prayed for a son. They'd given up on that. I don't believe for a moment he was standing at the altar of incense asking for his son. That was over in his life. But see, he did not pray in vain. And some of you here today, you're praying for things. And you're about ready to give up. Can I encourage you to pray on till the Lord gives you definite no? Just trust Him and pray on. God's heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. And you're to name him John. Now I want you to see what it says about John. You will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great. I love this. Verse 15, for he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. Gabriel said he's going to be great. Jesus says he was great. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Some believe, some scholars believe he was a Nazarite. 
from birth. Others believe this was just a special thing for him. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Very interesting. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the Spirit and power of Elijah. Imagine hearing that. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now imagine, put yourself in Zacharias' sandals. All his life he wanted a child, never had a child. He's at the high point of maybe of his priestly career offering incense, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he's just been told by the angel Gabriel, you're going to have a son and not just any son. You're going to have a son, you're going to name him John. He's going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. And of course, that means what? The Messiah's coming too. So here it is. John's been waiting. Here's his pitch. It's in his sweet spot. He's right there. He's ready to swing. And the problem is he swings, he takes his eye off the ball, and he misses, and he strikes out. Brings us to our second lesson. You can be godly and still struggle with unbelief. You can be godly and still struggle with unbelief. You see, instead of looking at God... What did Zacharias do? He looked at himself. He says, I'm old. He looked at his wife. She wasn't there, so he was safe in saying it. She's old. He looked at his body, his physical capabilities, and said, that's over! You ever felt like Zacharias? You're reading the Word. You're listening to a Sunday school lesson. You're listening to a sermon. You're reading a devotional, a promise from the Lord. You read it. You think, well, that would be nice, but that's not for me. That was for them back then, or, or that was that's for somebody else, but no, God could never do that in my life. You're a believer. You're faithful. You're godly. You know Jesus. You love Jesus. But you struggle with unbelief. Fast forward, you know, Gabriel was not pleased with Zacharias. In fact, he takes away his ability to speak. See, what would have happened normally is after he was completing his or completed his job of offering the incense, he would go out with other priests. He would speak a blessing over the people. But the problem was when he came out, he couldn't speak. I love what David Gusick said. Don't miss this. He said, <clears throat> when we do not believe God's promise for our lives, we do not necessarily destroy the promise, but we destroy our ability to enjoy the promise. What made this such a severe punishment was that Zacharias had such great news to tell, but he couldn't tell it. Now, he could tell others, but he couldn't speak. The tragic thing for us is that we have such great news to tell and we don't tell it. We don't point others to Jesus. You see, when you come across a promise, when God's Word is, the Holy Spirit takes the Word and ministers to your heart, and, and you begin to doubt and wonder, and you have unbelief you can't enjoy. The Lord gives you that, and instead you walk around fretting and worried and wondering and, and even sinning as we disobey and unbelief. You can be godly and still struggle with unbelief. In a sense, it makes us mute too. We're not singing we're not rejoicing. 
We're not sharing the joy of the Lord. We're not speaking for Him. But you know, I said that Zacharias struck out, but thankfully the game was not over. Because while it's true that godly people still struggle with troubles and problems, and and while it's true that godly people still struggle with unbelief, I want you to hear the third lesson. And don't miss this one. And it's this. It's God is greater than our trouble. And God is greater than our unbelief. Because the story doesn't end here. Gabriel doesn't just say, well, fine, I'll find somebody else. He says, no, it's going to happen. Just as I've spoken, it's going to happen. You still in Luke 1? Let's finish up. Look at verse 24. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now, we're going to drop down to verse 39, but let me just tell you what happens. If you remember, after Gabriel leaves with this birth announcement, he goes and makes another birth announcement. He goes to a virgin named Mary and announces the birth of the Lord Jesus. Then we come to verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country of haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and I want you to watch this, that the babe leaped in her womb. John the Baptist jumped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Most scholars believe Elizabeth and and Mary, their cousins. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. By the way, they wonder, is that a real person? Yes, it is a real person in that womb. It's a precious life in that womb. John the Baptist is leaping for joy. Just the sound of the voice of the the mother of our Lord. Verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, why didn't God give them a child when they were younger? When they cried out to the Lord, when they cried themselves to sleep, perhaps. When they begged and pleaded, Oh, God, please give us a child. Please give us a child. Please give us a child. Why didn't God give them a child then? Because they had something better and greater in mind. Their son would not just be any boy. He would be the forerunner of the Son, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. You remember that Gabriel told them to name the boy John. John means God is gracious. Isn't that so true? We're in our troubles and struggles and trials and problems. And yet in the midst of it, God is gracious, isn't He? We, we doubt Him. We, we struggle in unbelief. But God is gracious. Why? Because He's greater than our trouble and He's greater than our unbelief. And what, 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 talk about Mother's Day. Here's your Mother's Day message. Two of the greatest mothers who ever lived. What a meeting. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall that day to see the mother of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and the mother of Jesus together and John's just leaping for joy in her womb. Kind of feel bad for Elizabeth, but not too bad. What a picture. What a gracious God He is. See, there are stories, and again, we're just setting the stage. John the Baptist and Jesus, their stories are tied together, intertwined. You can't have one without the other. And we talk about it in being great. 
And we're just starting the series. We say, well, what was it that made him great? Well, let me just give you one clue here. Because John was not the Messiah. He's very clear about that. But he pointed others to the Messiah. He pointed others to Jesus. And that's what made him great. He pointed others to Jesus. That's why he lived. That's why he existed. That was his purpose in life. So can I encourage you? Do you want to be great? I mean, really great? Then point others to Jesus. Center your life around Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. Make it all about Jesus. Trust Him with your troubles. He's gracious. He's kind. He's got a plan. Stand upon His promises. Don't doubt Him. His Word is true. And know, beloved, that as a believer, He always has your good and His glory in mind even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't like the fact that we have to wait. You know, we started the, the, the service out today with that passage, didn't we? Wait patiently for the Lord. Be strong and of good courage. Wait patiently for the Lord. And in His time, He blessed this godly couple in a way that was beyond, I think, their wildest imagination. And He wants to bless you. And He has your good and His glory in mind. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we love You today. We thank You that You're in charge of our lives. I pray if anybody here does not know for certain that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, I pray this very moment the Holy Spirit would convict them and bring them to saving faith. And then, Father, I know that there are many today, I'm sure, they're struggling in various ways or maybe it's some issue in their life. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's struggling even with trusting You. I pray today Your Holy Spirit would encourage their heart from this story to know even though we don't understand, it doesn't always make sense. You have a great plan in mind and You're working out that plan for our good and Your glory. Thank You for truth. Thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord, that You're sovereign over every part of our life. We love You and we praise You today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open today. We're going to close this service with one of the, my favorite songs that we sing as a group. The message of it is just so powerful. It's a reminder, especially if you find yourself struggling, and that is the fact that He is sovereign. He's in charge of every aspect of our life. The altar is open today. If you'd like to come pray, we'd invite you. Let's stand together and sing together, sovereign over us. Yeah.
Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.